Support for this show comes from you, our listeners. As you may already know, our journalism is funded by subscriptions and support from loyal readers. Besides subscribing to our website and getting exclusive daily content on Brazil and Latin America, filtering through the noise to reach what really matters, you can also treat our staff to one to five cups of coffee a month. In return, you get exclusive benefits like special newsletters, behind-the-scenes content, as well as a special shout-out here on our podcast. And today I want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Tanika Thompson, a new member, and also Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffering, and Aland Mabel Shu, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. It's wonderful to see that the list is growing with more people supporting independent journalism. And if you are one of those who believe in the importance of independent journalism, and if you want to hear your name on our podcast, just head over to buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report and subscribe to one of the membership tiers. If you cannot make a monthly commitment, you can still tip us a cup of coffee every now and then and give us the energy we need to cover a country as complex as Brazil and a region as complex as Latin America. And we appreciate all your support. Click on buymeacoffee.com slash Brazilian Report to find out more. Brazil's electoral calendar is strict, dating back to the pre-internet days when TV and radio were the only platforms for political advertising, and campaigners would hand out flyers at street corners and traffic lights. The campaign only formally starts this year on August the 16th, and until then, candidates are barred from explicitly soliciting votes. They can, however, do pretty much everything but that. Which is why the leading names for federal and local races have already been in campaign mode for ages. Social media, for instance, is already chock full of political ads and promos. Since last week, though, Brazil entered a critical point in its election run-up, party convention season. And these are often very different from what you see in other countries, especially in the US. Today we'll explain what Brazilian party conventions mean and what they change in the race from now on. My name is Gustavo Ribeiro, editor-in-chief of the Brazilian Report. This is Explaining Brazil. Marshall, welcome back to the show. Hi, Gustavo. So, tell me about Brazil's party conventions, which began on July the 20th and will run through August the 5th. Yeah, so as you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Brazil's electoral legislation is pretty strict. Independent candidates, for example, are not allowed. And if you want to run for office, you have to have been a full member of a political party for at least six months before election day. And, you know, we covered that back in April, around the time that that particular deadline expired. And then, once you're a member of a party, you only have the right to run for office after that party confirms your candidacy at its national convention. And that's pretty different from what happens in the US, right? 
with the primaries, delegates from state chapters electing a candidate and so on and so forth. Yeah, not at all. Uh, parties in Brazil will rarely run primaries. It's very much a kind of top-down decision as to who will represent them on the ballot. And in the few examples of primaries we have seen in Brazil, they don't mean a whole lot, do they? Because we saw uh, that with the PSDB, the Brazilian Social Democracy Party, uh, former Sao Paulo governor João Doria won the nomination but was boycotted by his party to the point where he preferred to withdraw from the race altogether. Exactly. Uh, so this all kind of reinforces the idea that the party's top brass has the last word. They decide the entire strategy, who to run and when, who to ally with, when to withdraw, etc. And so these conventions are more of a formality, really. Uh, decisions will already have been made months ago. And uh, the event is basically just a bit of a rally, allowing the candidates to present their manifesto. And it's no time for shocks or surprises. So these party conventions are off and running now. Tell us a bit about what we have seen so far. Well, starting from the beginning, we have Ciro Gomes, who is officially the first presidential candidate for this year's election. Meus irmãos, minhas irmãs, a primeira palavra a todos, a todas, a cada um e a cada uma é o meu muito obrigado de coração. At uh, 64 years old, he's definitely been around the block a bit in Brazilian politics. Uh, despite being born in Sao Paulo, he made his political career in the northeastern state of Ceará, and he went on to put together a long track record on the national stage. You know, He was mayor, state lawmaker, governor. He also had stints as a congressman, and he was the finance minister in the 1990s and the national integration minister in the 2000s. You know, traditionally, he comes from left-wing stock, uh, but he's progressively been kind of veering towards the centre or even to the right, depending on who you talk to. And at the moment, Ciro is parked in the high single digits, according to all polls. Uh, his plan was to try and capture votes from both Jair Bolsonaro and Lula, who are the election's frontrunners, and, you know, it doesn't seem to have worked for him. Now, that's a complicated needle to thread, Right. I mean, how do you go about catering to both the left and the far right at the same time? Well, Ciro's platform is less about anti-politics and it's more about renewal. Uh, he wagered on the fact that voters would be tired of seeing the same old faces in power, which is maybe an odd strategy considering that he's been around for ages himself, you know, and this is going to be his fourth run at the presidency. Um, but for lack of a better term, Ciro is basically trying to kind of show people that he's down with the kids, you know. Uh, he's been holding these live streams on social media with this kind of video game aesthetic. Boa noite, Brasil. Boa noite, minha queridíssima turma boa. He's interviewing popular young streamers and influencers, and he's also putting out these mad animated ads with him as Spider-Man or Super Mario. In many ways, I would say that this is an interesting strategy, uh, and he's been advised by none other than João Santana, who used to be the guru behind the cinema-like ads of Lula and Dilma Rousseff in the past. But, I mean, besides trying to make the 64-year-old look modern, what else is Ciro's campaign doing? So, Ciro is buying the drum for social policies, which, in fairness, has always been one of his main platforms. And out of the contenders, he probably is the most outspokenly opposed to Jair Bolsonaro. Nunca! O país teve um presidente tão insensível e incompetente como o que ocupa atualmente o Palácio do Planalto. 
Fora Bolsonaro! Um, because since the kind of pre-campaign started, he's called the president a worm, a fascist, a crook, a murderer, and, you know, the list goes on and on. And he's also turned his kind of verbal machine gun toward Lula, too. Uh, he's blaming him and his workers' party for corruption scandals and economic problems that, in his view, gave rise to Bolsonarism. E como ele sacramentar a, for a maior forma corrupta de governar, tudo foi aos poucos se desmoronando. E a casa, como sempre, caiu na cabeça dos mais pobres e da nossa esmagada classe média. And he's been looking to kind of appeal to right-wing Christians as well, you know, suggesting that the Bible and the Constitution are compatible with one another, that sort of thing. And the thing is, Cedo has never been really the religious type though, right? Exactly. And the problem with voters trying to break with the dichotomy between Lula and Bolsonaro is that they often see themselves forced to, you know, change their own public personas. And, you know, that comes off as pretty false to voters. I mean, Exhibit A is Cito's paltry polling numbers. He still hasn't cracked the 10% threshold. And nobody has ever won the Brazilian presidential elections without at least pulling a 10% in the year leading up to the to the election day right uh, depending on the poll he comes in at around you know anywhere between six and nine percent but i mean that's pretty much par for the course for zero because in his three previous attempts at the presidency he's never won more than 12 percent of the votes now there are always candidacies that have no hope of winning but they are launched for a purpose of getting some airtime to a particular cause or potentially hoping to strike an alliance with a better positioned candidate. But Sido really thinks he should be the president, doesn't he? So with that in mind, how did his convention go? Yeah, it was more the same from Sido, uh, firing shots at both Bolsonaro and Lula. Uh, but in many ways, the simple fact that he's made it this far can already be classified as a bit of a personal victory. And why so? Barring any sort of unforeseen event that removes either Lula or Bolsonaro from the election, Ciro has no chance of getting to the runoff stage. And as I said before, when that happens, you tend to see allies putting pressure on outsider candidates to withdraw, you know, hoping to wrangle some sort of influence in the future government or, you know, maybe even just saving some money because campaigning in Brazil is definitely an expensive business. And the current model of campaign financing really doesn't help, does it? No, exactly. Uh, in 2016, the Supreme Court banned corporate campaign financing. So since then, political parties have, at least officially, they've had to rely on individual donations and on a publicly financed electoral fund. And in 2022, this fund is going to amount to 4.9 billion reais. That's just below $1 billion by the current exchange rates. And that gets split among the parties according to their representation in the lower house of Congress. And before the ban, having a presidential candidate would allow parties to, you know, get private donations and enlarge the funds that they have at their disposal, which then trickle down to the congressional races. But now the presidential candidates are fighting over finite resources. And parties don't want to spend money on a candidate that, you know, isn't going to win. And while it is true that a good presidential candidate can help you elect a bigger bench in Congress, the correlation is not, you know, it's not precise. Yeah, and that seems to be Cido Gomez's case. But, Ewan, moving on to Lula, who on the very following day also became a candidate. 
Yeah, so now we're talking about someone who really stands a chance in October. Uh, and Lola's convention was a, was a sign of the times in many ways. You know, it was a very underwhelming event, and the man himself wasn't even there. And neither was his running mate, Geraldo Altman. A primeira deliberação dessa convenção é a indicação da candidatura à presidência da República de Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. Instead, Lula was at a different event in Recife. He was kind of talking to his base in Brazil's northeast. Because the big event had already happened in May, you know, when we announced that he would seek nomination for the Workers' Party. But even then, the idea of Lula running for president this year, it's been the worst kept secret in politics for a long time. But in Recife, uh, Lula tried to appease his allies who haven't you know, fully warmed up to the idea that he's picked Geraldo Altman as his running mate. Because, you know, not too many years ago, Altman was one of the leading lights of the PSDB, which were the Workers' Party's biggest rivals in the kind of pre-Bolsonaro era. And Lola and Altman even ran directly against one another in the 2006 election. So, you know, their rivals this time around have gladly dug up plenty of the criticism that they levelled at each other during that campaign. But Lola is telling supporters about the need to choose a running mate from outside his usual circle of allies. And this was a reference to his alliance with businessman José Alencar, who, another conservative, and he was Lola's running mate in his two successful presidential candidacies in 2002 and 2006. And beyond that, Lola also largely kind of repeated the talking points that he's been using recently, trying to kind of spark nostalgia about his time as president. And, you know, he didn't even mention Bolsonaro's name at any point, but he said that Brazil today is worse off than in 2003, when he first became president, and he promised to reclaim Brazil's international respect. And he also said that the left is currently facing a fascist opponent. Right. So, moving on to the convention that confirmed Jair Bolsonaro's re-election bid, I would say that was perhaps the most eventful of them all, right? <laughs> and I would say probably not for the right reasons. O nosso presidente Jair, 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 Jair Messias Bolsonaro! Yeah, a big chunk of the event was Bolsonaro bashing the Workers' Party, uh, warning supporters of the risk of like left-wing gender ideology and you know discussing abortion. And he once again gave the impression that he does not plan on accepting the election results in October. You know that is if he loses. He made these kind of generic mentions of election fraud, and he attacked the Supreme Court, who he called the justices quote deaf people in black robes. And he added that he would hand over power further down the road to someone who was elected in a, quote, transparent manner. And in what certainly sounded like a call to arms, Bolsonaro told supporters that they are the majority, that they are willing to fight, and that they should take to the streets, quote, for the last time on September 7th, which is Brazil's Independence Day. Convoco todos vocês agora, para que todo mundo, no 7 de setembro, vá às ruas pela última vez. Vamos às ruas pela última vez. Now we should remember that on September the 7th last year, 
Jair Bolsonaro led putschist rallies in Brasília and São Paulo, and there was even talk of storming the Supreme Court building, which ended up fortunately not happening. And many fear a similar event this time around could derail into riots similar to the U.S. Capitol invasion last year and cross the Rubicon in a way that the September the 7th last year didn't. Exactly. And, you know, many in Brazil see the country moving towards something similar. Uh, Brazil is arming itself like never before. Um, not at all like the U.S., of course, but gun registrations are skyrocketing. I mean, from over 50,000 in 2018 to over 200,000 last year. Wow. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we touched on the matter of political violence in Brazil. And, you know, Bolsonaro's declaration has just put a lot more people on edge. And Bolsonaro is laying the groundwork for this. I mean, last week he invited dozens of foreign ambassadors to the presidential residence in Brasilia, where he showed them a dodgy PowerPoint presentation laden with grammar mistakes and translation errors. And he was claiming that the electoral system is rigged and attacking Brazilian institutions. Yeah, I mean, while the meeting was a kind of PR disaster internationally, it's pretty clear that Bolsonaro wasn't exactly trying to convince the foreign diplomats of his point of view. It was more about just using them to lend some sort of legitimacy at home to his unfounded fraud claims. And there's been a bit of pushback since. Uh, bank and business owners launched a manifesto in defense of democracy, which has been signed by over 3,000 people. But that document doesn't even mention Bolsonaro by name. And, you know, three and a half years into his term have shown us that he's not going to be flustered by that sort of response. And meanwhile, the House Speaker and the Prosecutor General, who are perhaps the two only people who could actually, you know, put the brakes on President Bolsonaro's putschist agenda, they've been acting as enablers. Now, Ewan, we have spent a big chunk of this episode talking about how Party conventions are not really that important when you think about it. But even if they're not that big of a deal, they do make some pretty consequential changes, right? Yeah, so until the convention, politicians are only pre-candidates with an emphasis on the pre. And now, as they are fully-fledged candidates, the electoral laws apply to them differently. Like, for instance, a 2021 resolution by electoral courts explicitly forbids candidates from spreading disinformation to sow distrust in the voting system. If any candidates are caught doing so, they can be fined, they can lose ad time on television and radio, or they can even be removed from the election altogether. And as we have just mentioned, electoral disinformation has been Jair Bolsonaro's bread and butter this year. Right, and yet in October of last year, the Superior Electoral Court impeached a state lawmaker for using social media to spread falsehoods about the security of the voting system. And that verdict set a precedent for dealing with misinformation on social media, and it was recently upheld by a panel of five Supreme Court justices. And during his convention on Sunday, you know, Bolsonaro, he, he seemed like he was aware of this. He was trying to dance around the issue a little bit. He wasn't saying that voting machines are rigged, but he was stating these generic claims I was talking about of, you know, fraud during the election. But as the campaign goes on, I think we're likely to see a lot of court battles as Bolsonaro's words are really going to come under the microscope. Yeah, but I mean, I simply cannot imagine the electoral court striking down Bolsonaro's candidacy at this point in the race. Uh, but Ewan, before we wrap up, are there any other conventions we should keep our eyes on? 
Uh, well, there is União Brasil, which is a massive and newly formed right-wing party, because on August 5th, the party is set to launch its chairman, Luciano Bivar, as a presidential candidate. But, I mean, he's barely even in the race. I mean, he's polling at 1% at best. But in the meantime, there are lots of parties looking to court União Brasil. They're hoping to strike up a coalition. Because the party has 776 million reais at its disposal to fund campaigns. And that's more than any other party. So time is running out for bidders and, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that convention actually goes ahead at all. Ewan, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Gustavo. Parties and coalitions have until August the 15th to submit their candidacies to electoral authorities, which will be accepted or rejected until a September the 12th deadline. The election will, of course, take place on October the 2nd and the runoff stage, if necessary, happens on October the 30th. If you like Explaining Brazil, please give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It takes only a second and it really helps us to reach a broader audience. Or better yet, you can sign up for the Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your subscriptions fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. If you are already a subscriber, then you can give us some extra support by filling our coffee mugs with donations on Buy Me A Coffee. These membership programs offer special perks like behind-the-scenes content and exclusive newsletters about different quirks of Brazil like culture and the Brazilian way of living. You can get these newsletters on buymeacoffee.com slash brazilianreport. I'm Gustavo Ribeiro. Thanks for listening. Explaining Brazil will be back next week.